Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast. This is John, and with me tonight is Ryan. Hello. Hi, and we are excited to uh, launch our first episode here of uh, our, our new kind of like series of episodes called The Power of the 90s. And uh, I have been really excited to get going on doing these episodes, but Ryan, they were they were your idea, actually. I think way back in December, you came up with this idea, right, to do uh, this Power of the 90s series? Yeah, I mean, on a very, very basic level, like you've definitely expanded it into something like usable. <laughs> um, my like my idea was basically like a Denny's conversation <laughs> with friends, like, um, but yeah. Well, we were riding it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, totally. But we were riding that uh, Rogue One slash Winter Break high at the time, right? Like uh-huh. excited about Star Wars and uh, like we always are, but like ex- extra excited. And uh, and this concept, I think, is going to be super cool. So what we're what we're doing with the power of the '90s is we want to do um, an episode of the Blockade Runner every month that focuses on discussing a specific year in that decade and what was happening in Star Wars uh, during that year. So what was going on in terms of uh, the publishing, books, uh, what was going on in terms of novels, uh, toys, any kind of merchandising, um, anything that was going on in like pop culture with Star Wars, any of those things. And as we ramp up and push further into the 90s, there's going to be so much stuff, so much good stuff to talk about. Um, I'm really excited for that. We're going to start tonight with 1990 and 1991, and those years are a little more lean in terms of um, what was going on in Star Wars, Um, but I think that's what makes this whole thing um, pretty interesting is that the 90s are when Star Wars sort of kicked into gear and entered its sort of second wave and a kind of renaissance for Star Wars. so in the first part of the decade, that's a little lighter, but as as the years move on, it gets pretty crazy and pretty awesome and, and pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, this first year, first two years actually, 1990 and 91 are going to be light, um, but then as we go on, it's just going to improve from there. Um, but there is cool stuff to talk about um, in these two years, um, for sure. 1990 uh, being... We should say, um, just to give a disclaimer here, this is probably not going to be comprehensive i can i can actually guarantee this is not going to be comprehensive there are things we are going to we are going to miss like we were adding in stuff um you know 10 minutes before we recorded because we found weird things that uh you know we didn't know existed and especially when it comes to like merchandise and stuff like i'm sure there were like kids birthday party tablecloths and stuff that were coming out that uh we don't really have any way to um to kind of track that stuff um but even in even once we get deeper in like with some of the books and the comics and stuff like there we're definitely going to be missing stuff but um but you know i think that's a cool chance for like if you do find something that we missed like shout it out on twitter or um you know in the in the youtube comments or something um let us know because this is this is not like us trying to be the authority on this it's more of like a conversation and kind of celebrating this era like the return of star wars so um 
yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's a good point. I mean, I, we were both eight in 1990 also. So, um, you know, like as we get later into the 90s, like we're going to have stronger personal memories related to what was going on at the time. Um, I don't have that strong of memories related to like the first couple of years in the 90s in terms of what was going on in Star Wars. So there's definitely stuff that, you know, if it's not super well documented on the internet or there's not a lot of like lore and stories about it, like we could totally be missing, like you said. So um, I would love it if we sat down to do our 92 episode next month and we had like a bunch of comments about stuff we missed that we could correct ourselves in the beginning. And because I'd like to at the start of the each episode, you know, after this one, sort of like quickly recap, like what was going on in Star Wars the year before, you know? Mm -hmm. So if we could, you know, toss in some stuff that we missed um, from the previous episode, that would be cool. But really, I think like the biggest, and, and I spent a bunch of time over the last couple of days trying to find just that sort of thing. Like I tried so many different Google search uh, terms, like <laughs> to find like weird stuff like that, like Star Wars merchandise, rare Star Wars merchandise, et cetera, like with the year 1990 or 91. And it wasn't finding too much. And I think that's because of the state Star Wars was in, like in 1990 and 91, or mm -hmm. really in 1990 and, you know, 89, whatever. Um, so more of that stuff should be around as we, as we go forward too. I don't think there was a ton going on with like licensing in 1990, like there would be in 94, 95, et cetera. So, yeah, I think like the scope of what we're talking about too, um, like in later years is going to expand because there will be more product and more types of uh, Star Wars media and, you know, stuff like that that we can we can get into. But mm -hmm. but yeah, this is about I think, as always, when we do um, the blockade runner, it's it's about um, our love and enjoyment of Star Wars, not like, you know, trying to pose as experts or something. So that is mm -hmm. a, a good disclaimer to throw out here um, early on. So, but should we jump into uh, 1990 here and talk about the few things we could uh, we could dig up for 1990? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think like, and this is how you originally structured our notes here, but I think this is like the way to go. Um, in terms of 1990, we could not come across any books. We did not come across any video games. We didn't come across any comics and we didn't come across any toys. Cause I think those would be like the sort of the big categories of like products and um, fun Star Wars experiences that we could be talking about. So unfortunately there weren't any books, there weren't any video games, um, no comics um, and no toys. Now there would be all of those things except for toys in 1991. So we'll get to that, but um but yeah, I mean, that's that's a good indicator of where Star Wars was right there. The fact that in the year 1990, there were no Star Wars toys released. Um, and, you know, you go a couple of years into the 90s until now. And that's like a crazy thought, like zero Star Wars toys. But that's what it was. Um, just a few years further into the 90s, the, the idea that there would be no Star Wars books or novels or nonfiction books released is crazy. But as far as we could tell in 1990, that's that's what it was. There was nothing. Yeah, like it's so crazy to imagine like going into a bookstore in 1990 and I mean what would what would they even have? I mean, would they still be carrying like the adaptations of the of the films like was Star Wars so irrelevant that those weren't even on the shelves? Were they was Splinter of the Mind's Eye on the shelf? Like who knows, but the craziest thing in the world is just Picturing walking into like a Walmart or a Kmart in 1990, going to the toys section and zero Star Wars. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, it's, it's crazy. Now, like one of the things I think that would be, there wouldn't have been a lot of toys on the shelves in stores uh, at that time, not new toys, but this is probably a period where you could actually get, you know, um, the, the figures from the original like 77 to 85 line of Kenner toys. You could probably mm-hmm. get that stuff like pretty easily and pretty cheaply. Um, again, I was eight in 1990, so I don't know hundred percent, but I think this is before they really started to, to rise a lot in, in value. Um, I actually posted to Facebook earlier today, uh, just asking, um, you know, this, um, we're part of a group called the star Wars podcast Alliance. And I asked in there, like if anybody had any, um, big memories from 1991 and, uh, uh a friend of ours, Neil Shepard there in the, um, star Wars podcasting Alliance posted that, uh, um, that was a, a really fun time for finding Star Wars stuff at flea markets and yard sales and stuff like that. And, you know, my reaction was like, oh, for sure, that would have been awesome. I pretty much missed that because I was a little kid. But mm-hmm. um, I can I can imagine that that was a it was kind of a dark time for Star Wars. And, and this period of time is often referred to as the dark times uh, for Star Wars. Um, in terms of new product, but it was probably the golden age in terms of being able to go to a flea market or a thrift store and find like, you know, an ATAT or a bag full of um, the original, you know, Star Wars figures for for cheap. Yeah, and so it w- it was definitely a dark time if you were into the books, the video games, the comics, the figures, but if you were into the tabletop role playing game. Like you had it made during the games, time. yeah. Like the let's see, the the tabletop games started in I think 1987. Um, was the first was when the first rule book dropped, and we're talking like not like uh, not like Candyland or Monopoly here. We're talking like the Dungeons and Dragons style um, tabletop role playing game, um, and yeah, like. That, I mean, that was what kept Star Wars alive, I would say, probably from, like, I would say probably 1987 when that came out was when the resurgence really started. Um, because, you know, those uh, those books coming out every few years and people playing and investing in the lore and the world, like, that's what kept it alive until... I don't know, probably something we'll talk about in 91 with the, the Timothy Zahn books. Yeah, for sure. And I think West End Games, um, I don't know how often they get the credit, but they deserve a lot of credit for kind of keeping Star Wars alive because um, keeping fans you know, somewhat satisfied uh, because there was almost nothing going on from like 85, 86 to, you know, 91. Um, But those Mm role-playing games were there and they were not just providing something for Star Wars fans to do. They were really kind of expanding the lore of Star Wars um, because I think that's a, that's a big thing. I know, I know people who didn't even necessarily play the role-playing games would get the source books and read those, um, source books because there was just a lot of cool ideas and interesting information and just, you know, universe expanding, lore expanding ideas there. And it was kind of keeping, you know, Star Wars fans going, you know, you might say like on life support a little bit or like just like a drip feed there, but at least there was something 
uh, to kind of keep people engaged uh, during those years. Um, and, you know, you can see it even today, like Pablo Hidalgo, who's obviously a huge uh, voice in, in Star Wars and a big contributor to what's going on in Star Wars now, um, I think got started by uh, writing for West End Games. Um, so, uh, or at least that was something he was doing very early in his career. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think West End Games is a huge, obviously a, a huge um, contributor to those dark years and then uh, the dark times uh, to Star Wars fans during that time. But also, like, you can even still see, like, the influence um, of ideas that were created for the West End Games, role-playing games, like in Star Wars Rebels Season 3. You'll see a ship or, like, a, uh, a reference, like, show up in that show that is something that's from a West End game source book in 1989 or something. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really cool that that stuff was there at the time. And, um, you know, it's still, it's not forgotten. There's a lot of Star Wars fans that were into that stuff at the time that still love it. And it's even kind of trickling into uh, recent Star Wars media. So I think that's really cool. Now, Ryan, if either one of us would have ever played a Star Wars role-playing pen and paper game, it would be you. Um, I would love to do it but I never have. Have you ever, did you have any of the source books? Did you play any of the Star Wars role-playing games? I've never actually played. Um, I did, I did play uh, D&D um, in my, I guess, teen years, teen years, and then um, got back into it in my 20s. Um I do own um, one of the source books um, just just to kind of have and to read through. And um, I think it's the second edition um, source books. And they are, it is so awesome. I think I didn't I actually do a post on Blockade Runner? I think you did. Yeah, I think you okay. did. I'll yeah, have the link to that in the show notes here because I think you did do <laughs> I that. I picked it up a couple of years ago. And, um, and yeah, just like going through looking at like the art and the, all like the flavor text and all the like expanding lore and stuff like it's so cool. I mean, I would still like if it, somehow that could be organized in <laughs> 2017, I would love to um, sit down with people and actually, you know, get a campaign going. Um, but that's that kind of stuff's really hard to do these days and invest in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, I think there's maybe a few star Wars podcasts. Um, maybe I'll look those up and try to link to them too. But I think there's a, a few star Wars podcasts that, that maybe do that like as their show, you know, they, they record like a session of uh, a star Wars RPG and like kind of, cause there's definitely podcasts that do that, right? Like role-playing games and they, they sort of have the campaign going and they just like record that and, and sort of like people listen and follow along with um, that as it develops. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but no, I would love to do that. I've never ever done it. And I think it would be super fun. Um, I don't know. I think this technology we're using right now could make something like that possible potentially. Um, but who's going to be that? See, I, I'm too scared. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of being the DM. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure I can yeah. keep it going. Like, who's going to do that? We need somebody to be like the DM, I think. Unless it's, that's you. I have total faith that you could be an awesome DM, but I don't know that I could mm. do it. I, ha- I have um, I have DM'd before in mm-hmm. a D&D campaign, but um, I, it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> okay. It was basically something I did just so we could play. So you could get um, it going. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, no, it's a it's a lot of work. Sure. 
Okay. Well, that's on the bucket list though. Maybe something we can try someday, right? Maybe when we retire. <laughs> from like our careers or from podcasting? From our careers. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Probably still be podcasting then. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. No, uh, but there were three kind of like, I, I guess, I don't know what the terminology is, but I think three books released for um, the Star Wars role-playing game from West End Games in 1990. Uh, one is called Galaxy Guide 6 Tramp Freighters. Um, one is called The Game Chambers of Questel. And then the last one is the Rebel Alliance Sourcebook. Um, and I read a little bit about each of these today, mm-hmm. and uh, they are pretty interesting. Did you like read up on these at all yeah yeah and i mean this they kind of follow like the um you know the way the D source books go where it's like okay these are um you know maybe this is a this is a like a quest or a campaign um or maybe this is like okay we're introducing like new types of characters new mechanics so they're going to um you know they're going to be in this book something additional um, to that, like the the Tramp Freighters book is like adding in um, smugglers, basically, and like so, how is how is that going to work? Um, like, how are those types of characters going to work? So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so that Tramp Freighters one is about like smugglers, um, which is cool, and that's like a specific role, I guess, within the game, right? Is if you want to play that sort of character. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next one is the Game Chambers of Questel. <laughs> yeah, this one is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, there's a rebel agent that goes missing, and uh, the rebels go to this planet Questel to try to find this rebel agent. <laughs> um, and uh, what did they say? It's like an amusement park, right? The events lead to the characters trying to escape from a kind of killer amusement park controlled by an imperial moth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's a moth doing yeah. this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, like what, um, like, a, like a, a Hunger Games or something, but like way more like, um, like that Marvel Comics character Arcade, who like has all those like crazy challenges and amusement parks for the the heroes to survive. Um, it's a it's a very like silly, um, nerdy concept, yeah. <laughs> but um, I love it in uh, in this context. Yeah, it seems super fun. Um, definitely goofy, and like it's it's the kind of thing that I and I, I feel like this is a theme for 1990 and 1991 with Star Wars media and stuff. It's like it works as maybe it works as like a RPG kind of storyline or, you know, whatever, because I don't really play these games. So I'm not hundred percent sure, but it seems like it would. Um, but it does. It's the kind of thing where it's like, you could never imagine that. Like I can't imagine that in a star Wars movie, like the moth controlling <laughs> the killer amusement park. Yeah. Um, but that's why, you know, especially in a time when there weren't going to be any more star Wars movies, at least not for a while. That's why it's cool to have like these alternate, you know, mediums for, Star Wars storytelling and, and Star Wars experiences because like, yeah, that's not going to work in a movie. I, I don't think, but it's probably pretty cool for, for this. If you're willing to sort of like, just say, okay, well, you know, this isn't a Star Wars movie. This is a, this is a, an RPG like source book. And like, I'm just going to go with it and have fun, you know? And I think mm-hmm. in that way, it's pretty creative and crazy and, and probably pretty cool. 
So. Well, we'll we'll see if uh, if Disney's still doing the the one Star Wars movie a year in like twenty five <laughs> years from now, and they're like really running out of uh, out of material. Maybe maybe our heroes will have to survive Questel. I mean, I could probably go for a Game Chambers of Questel movie. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, the last one from 1990, the the last source book, um, more straightforward. It is called the Rebel Alliance source book. And uh, this one I would love to get and just read through and stuff because mm-hmm. it says it covers the history, organization, technology, and tactics of the Rebel Alliance. Um, and now that this stuff is sort of being rewritten in like the new canon or whatever, I think it's even more interesting to go back and look at like, what previous versions of this looked like. Um, so I think this one would be super cool for sure. Yeah, definitely. I should have looked up. Um, I didn't look up like how much these these source books go for, you know, if you want to buy them like used or whatever. Um, do you have any idea about that? It's all over the place. Like I got um, I got my like, you know, one of the the main source books, the main rule books. Um, I got mine on Amazon, like, you know, a, a first printing second edition. And I think it was like, like $15 shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, like you'll randomly see one that's like $79 or something. And you're like, what? Um, but, you know, if you're just like grabbing some of these to read and you're not like super intent on getting exactly like a a certain group of them like you can definitely find them and i bet even better like um go to some used bookstores and poke around like half price books and stuff like that um you could probably find them pretty cheap because i don't i don't think these are in like huge demand these days um but i think there are things that like you may have like an Amazon listing and there'll only be like one person selling it. Sure. So then you're like, well, okay. (laughs) Well, and it's like anything in star Wars or any other, you know, fandom that we're kind of into. It's, it's all about probably what the print run was, how, how popular it was at the time. Like some of these I'm sure sold more copies and were more available um, than Mm -hmm. others. And so those, those ones that were, you know, produced in smaller runs are going to be, I'm sure worth more money at this point because they're, there are fewer copies of them floating around. Um, but yeah, the, and the, I mean, they don't, and like some of them are reprinted in like various forms, like classic adventures or something like in the late nineties. I know there were some reprints, but um, not all of them Okay, were so. Cool. Well, the last thing uh, I want to talk about from 1990, and actually the, this is also from West End Games. Um, I looked this up. I was, really thinking about pulling the trigger and buying one of these um, a couple weeks ago, but I didn't go through with it, is the Escape from the Death Star Adventure board game. And this looks super cool. Um, I think it would be really fun to play, but it just looks so like late 80s, early 90s. Really, it looks like mid to late 80s, I think, in the design um, and the the way it's uh, visually, the way it appears. But it's just this really cool... um, board game made by West End Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks super, super cool. Uh, I know you were the one that found this and put this on the notes. Have you have you played this at all or have you seen this? No. Um, I ha- like, I love the aesthetic. Like, the box is, like, amazing 
looking yeah. to me. Um, I'm not a huge board game guy. Like I, um, I would like as we were kind of like finding this stuff. Like I was way more interested in like the role playing game source books. Um, sure. th- this. Uh, I don't know. It looks cool. It looks a little more um, uh, maybe intensive than like your typical like, I don't know, like what we kind of expect from like a family board game like um, like, uh, I don't know, Monopoly or Life or something. It's probably closer to like some of the more like prestige I don't know if that's the right term for them. Um, like grown-up board games um, these days, like stuff like I don't know, Settlers of Catan or something like that. Yeah, the, the kind of games that people go to like conventions for and stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Low again, low print run, like more for like a hardcore like board game audience, right? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's it would it like I said, it was made and developed and and put out and produced by uh, West End Games. So you'd you'd, mm-hmm. you'd figure there would be a little more of the like, you know, deep dive kind of feel to it um, compared to, you know, other Star Wars board games. Uh, I think there was like a more mainstream like late seventies board game, wasn't there? A, an Escape from a Death Star. Maybe that's not the totally the title, but um, I'll have to look that up. But there was like a Death Star themed like family board game i think about 10 years before this maybe you know what i'm talking about um i'm i'm sure like i've i've seen that especially from the times of the like the original trilogy um i feel like i feel like i've seen those but i can't really say anything for certain okay yeah um all right cool well let's jump into 1991 real quick though Okay. Um, so I just looked um, on my phone just on Amazon real quick, like what some of these Star Wars source books go for. And actually a lot of them, like that Rebel Alliance one we were just looking at, like you can get one for like seven bucks. Oh, wow. So, um, well, plus shipping. So about 10, 11 bucks. Um, I did find the game that we have to, the um, the source book we have to use if we ever play. Okay. Um, there was a Shadows of the Empire one. <laughs> <laughs> you're about so, uh, five years too early but okay okay yeah and i guess we'll get to that but i if, if we ever do play <laughs> that's that's the one we gotta go to i think <laughs> but oh man yeah that's something to look forward to because i think we are going to have a lot to say about shadows of the empire for sure for sure and that might be the thing that talks you like persuades you to uh to be to dm right if you can like come up with a really scandalous story for Prince Shizor in uh, Shadows of the Empire. Like <laughs> the mind wanders, Ryan, when, I know. when you get to create stories for Prince Shizor. So that's, um, a, that's a dangerous uh, pheromone spiral to go down. <laughs> um, I could, if I get too into the role, I could start like homebrewing that stuff. Home. <laughs> 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 You're gonna start homebrewing Princey's or Sparrowmounts. Hey, you never know. <laughs> I really want to make it an authentic experience. Oh, all right. Um, well, that that does sound good. Okay, um, <laughs> let's jump into 1991. Um, and 1991 is the year that I think is credited as sort of Star Wars's return or the start of Star mm-hmm. Wars's return. And in large part, that is due to Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire 
novel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I feel like a really bad Star Wars fan and an even worse Star Wars podcast host because here I am, you know, recording this episode about Star Wars in the 90s, and I have not read the kind of keystone kickoff, like most important Star Wars, probably the most important Star Wars novel of all time, I would say. Um, This is the big one. And I haven't read it. Um, But I know you have, Ryan. So I'm I'm, like, luckily, one of us is sort of informed about this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's a book that's like the reputation is huge for this book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though I haven't read it, I've been, you know, hearing about the characters from this book and sort of like, this kind of set up the EU, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I've read a, a bunch of EU books after this uh, involving characters that were sort of um, either created or expanded in this book. So um, this is sort of the the father of all Star Wars um, expanded universe novels. Um, if we're if we're not counting, you know, the the Han Solo books and Splinters of the Mind's Eye, mm-hmm. Mind Eye and uh, the Lando books and stuff from the like late 70s, early 80s. But the new at the time new star wars expanded universe was really kicked off here by heir to the empire so uh i want to talk about this book um on a number of levels i want to talk about like the impact of it but also you know a little bit about the plot and the characters of the book and stuff like that so um but why don't we start with like when did you read this ryan were you reading this like in the 90s did you read it a couple years ago like when you probably didn't read it in 91 but no um so in the in the next episode I get to talk about the first Star Wars book I read um, because it came out in 1992. Um, but then after reading that book, um, and we can, we'll talk it, about the that sequel to episode. Heir to the Empire. Is it this? No, oh. no, it was. I read um, <laughs> the young, I was like 10 years old, um, and I read uh, The Glove of Darth Vader, um, which was the young adult. Um, Star Wars book series and I probably didn't actually read it until like 93 but after reading that um, that was the only book that my library that was the only book in that series that my library had so I was like I want to read more Star Wars books and I went and checked out Heir to the Empire and I was probably like 11 12 years old and I I was an okay reader but uh, definitely not punching that high above my weight as a reader. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I remember taking home um, Heir to the Empire and just being like, oh, God, I, ca- like, I can't even get like a page into this kind of thing. And it was, uh, it was pretty frustrating. I didn't actually read the trilogy until... Um, it was probably when I when I went on my hugest EU bender, um, which was between episodes two and three. Um, I was in I was in college at the time, and I was basically from the college li- like the library um, in DeKalb, Illinois. I was checking out like one two Star Wars books a week <laughs> and reading them. Um, like I just I read everything um in like in those years um and that's when i read the trilogy and i read it in like two weeks and nice uh, yeah 
Well, that's that's going to come in handy then um, as we continue with the the '90s talking because there were a lot of Star Wars novels released in the '90s. So yeah, I barely remember any of it though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, even like, um, I mean, just the impact of um, this book and like the characters in it that are still talked about today. Because there's you know there's a lot of Star Wars books, a lot of EU books where. Um, we're not really talking about those characters. Like they've, you know, they had their time and they, you know, served their purpose. You know, there's characters in the new canon Star Wars books that like, I I couldn't tell you, I couldn't name like five characters in Aftermath. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> even now, like, um, but like, you know, some of the characters created in this book, um, you know, like Mara Jade, um, I, I believe she was created for this book, correct? Yeah, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, now I'm like suddenly second guessing myself. Like, was she in something before? Was she in a source book? See, or that's something? that's what I was gonna say. The only yeah. thing is, I guess there's a possibility she could have been in a source book, um, because I think he yeah. was uh, Timothy Zahn was instructed to pull from West End Games um, and the lore that they were creating in a sort of like early attempt to sort of keep things like in line. Um, so he did pull from, from the, from the source books, but I, I think this is her first appearance. Okay. And then obviously Thrawn um, is a character that we are, you know, experiencing today. Um, Thrawn, you know, uh, is appearing on Star Wars Rebels, um, just had a, a novel, that novel did come out, right? Yeah, that novel came out um, mid-April. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, Thrawn is part of the new canon. He's the uh, San Diego San Diego Comic Con um, exclusive um, Black Series figure as well. Um, there's a, like a deluxe version um, that I was able to check out at the at the Hasbro panel at Star Wars Celebration. Um, oh my goodness cool. yeah i mean yeah. there's going to be like a standard six inch you know thrawn black series thrawn but this oh, one okay. comes with like all kinds of accoutrement like it comes with like his uh, uh i don't know how to pronounce it the easel mary or whatever those little like that little thing that blocks the force that little creature yeah yeah snake things from the trees yeah he comes yeah, with one of those okay. and he comes with like a painting since he's an art collector and uh actually yeah. the the uh the cup the chalice um in uh uh Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh he has that as well because in the Star Wars Rebels um series uh in his office that was like put in there as an easter egg so then they put that in the in the uh the Comic-Con Whoa. exclusive yeah it's really That's cool That's amazing yeah, it's That's a very really cool, cool figure. So I'm not going to get it because I'm not going to be at San Diego Comic Con, and uh, no. you know it's going to be exclusive. But uh, although I hear um, that on, I think it's the Tuesday morning after Comic Con, or usually the Tuesday morning after like any like exclusive thing. Um, if you're glued to Hasbro shop, um, they put up like extras, or I don't know if it's extras, or they just have a certain amount that they allot for selling online mm-hmm. like the following week. Um, so it's not totally impossible to get them and obviously resellers buy them and stuff too. But anyway, um, hmm. Thrawn's everywhere. This is yeah. kind of the, the year of Thrawn with his, his comeback in rebels and his own novel and, uh, even stuff like this exclusive figure. So, yeah. And I mean, people were stoked when that stuff got announced. 
So like he's a really super beloved character. Um, I would say probably the like I don't know tied with him. Like I feel like the most asked for character um, in the new canons probably Mary Jade, who would definitely probably not serve the same purpose um, in the new canon, but I think, you know, that's something that people really want um, because they are just such beloved characters. Yeah, and I think it's great um, the way that they're sort of pulling in, like, characters from the expanded universe in a way that makes sense. And, you know, Thrawn, I think Mm -hmm. it's cool. It seems like they can bring him in and they don't have to change that much about you know, who he was from then to mm-hmm. now. Um, I know that like those force blocking creatures, the useful Mary or however you pronounce that. Um, that's one thing where they were sort of like, mm, that doesn't really fit our view of the force these days. So, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. bring those along, but for the most part, he remains, I think, um, you know, very similar character to who he was in the expanded universe. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, why not bring him back? Like you said, with Mara Jade, um, who I'm, you know, not as familiar with, although she showed up in a lot of stuff in like the 90s and early 2000s, like video games and mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So um, I feel like I have more exposure to Mara Jade than I do to Thrawn just because she was kind of in a bunch of stuff after that. Um, with her, yeah, I think there's not a great place for her to fit into um, into this new canon without kind of drastically changing the character or at least her role. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they probably will bring her back at some point. So, um, and then Thrawn has a, uh, in, in Heir to the Empire, Thrawn has like a, what's what's the name of this character? He's like a his sort of right-hand man. Um, uh, boy, I was looking it up earlier today, but uh, in, in Rebel Season 4, uh, there's going to be a character voiced by Warwick Davis that goes by, the name of this character from Heir to the Empire. Um, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Um, he was like Thrawn's like hand or something. Well, no, that was. Uh, I guess I'm I'm um, confusing my terms from because Mara Jane is, was it his bodyguard? Maybe. What's the name of the bodyguard? Rook. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, Rook. So there is going to be a character in Star Wars Rebels Season 4 named Rook um, that's going to be played by uh, by Warwick Davis. So, very cool, I think. Cool. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and with Timothy Zahn releasing Thrawn earlier this year, I feel like I've heard like quite a few interviews with him. He's been on panels at Comic Cons and, you know, different... He was signing a ton of Star Wars Celebration. He's kind of been out there talking about Star Wars in the last six months to a year, let's say. And um, so I've heard him talk a few times about, like, the inception of Heir to the Empire and kind of how he came up with all that stuff. And, um, you know, he's talked about how, like, he looked at Star Wars and thought, okay, well we need like a new villain. We need a new big bad or whatever. Um, Darth Vader is gone. So we want to do someone who's different from Darth Vader and different from the emperor in the sense that his wit and his uh, strategic skills are his sort of, um, that's where his power comes from. It doesn't come from the force. It doesn't come from like these dark Jedi arts or whatever. It's like a very different kind of villain. And I think that was, you know, a really um, interesting and smart choice to make with um, with this like relaunching of, you know, Star Wars storytelling, um, to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know in some ways I think the trilogy, 
does start to recycle certain elements from the movies, maybe a little more as it goes on um, in ways that make sense, but are not necessarily as sort of fresh as something like Thrawn. But, um, but yeah, I just, you know, I know that uh, obviously this book has had a huge impact on, on Star Wars fandom and uh, Timothy Zahn is like an author that Star Wars fans hold up in like such high regard, I think um, because of like, uh, you know how good the book is or how good the books are but also just gratitude for getting this whole thing going again and doing it in a really um a really good well executed way um you know you talked about how like the books were probably or the heirs of the empire was probably like a little bit above your reading level and a little bit above your sort of ability at the time you were reading it when you were really young mm-hmm. um and that i think that's the thing too that's interesting about heirs of the empire is that like it I, as far as i know it was like a huge hit with like a wide audience of people um and you know it's not like something that was targeted towards kids uh i don't know for sure with like Han Solo at Star's End and, uh, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye and stuff like that. But I, I would imagine that geared toward like a younger reader base. It was more kids and teenagers reading that. Yeah, I mean, like those books strike me as like young adult books, like the Han Solo books, like and they're certainly like sized that way. Whereas like Heir to the Empire is like you know, it's like your John Grisham like style, like mass market paperback or hardcover. Like it's it's a big book. Like all of those are big books. A big book and a sophisticated book, um, mm-hmm. you know, geared towards targeted towards adult audiences. And uh, I think there were a lot of adults who, you know, were 10 or 15 years old in 77 or 80 or 83 who, mm-hmm. you know, in 91 were now you know, 20 or 25 or 30 years old and looking for something, you know, meaty like Heirs of the Empire. And uh, I think this book obviously delivered in a big way. So um, I was hoping to get it read uh, before we recorded this. I was going to like jump in and and read (laughs) this um, over over the last week, but uh, didn't quite get there too much going Uh, on. So a a decent um, overview of the story. Um, The comic. The comics, yeah um like it's i mean they obviously they you know with any adaptation like comic adaptation if you've ever read a comic adaptation of any of the films like you know that there's uh stuff that's different stuff that they miss stuff that's not as developed some stuff is more developed it's a different experience but if you just kind of want like thematically similar experience i would say that you can read like all three volumes in i don't know two hours probably um and get and essentially get the whole story like i would say it's definitely a step up from just reading like the the wikipedia entry for all the books like um i i do recommend the comics um i I don't know what the availability situation of those is these days. Um, But I mean, they were pretty popular. I think you could actually find like the single issues or the trade paperbacks at pretty decent prices. If not, I think Marvel has at this point pretty much gotten all of the, all of the old star Wars comics like on Kindle and comiXology at this point. So there should be digital versions 
floating around that you can get off Amazon or something at this point. But I think that's a solid way to uh, kind of experience it if you know you're you're pressed for time. Yeah, I, I would. I actually totally plan on doing that. Um, when we get to the year that those uh, those comic adaptations were. Uh, release. Yeah, because those were a few years late. Like those were towards the mid or in nine end of the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say it was like ninety six or something like that. Um, huh. Maybe earlier than that, but we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll definitely, I definitely plan on um, uh, going through that uh, when we get to that year. So, um, and uh, on on the note of like console though at Star's End, I I bought that a few months ago. I have that over on the shelf. Um, I totally plan on reading that and the other Han Solo books from that era. Um, and uh, I'm hoping, you know, maybe I can get you to read those or get Kevin or uh, Lindsay or somebody to read those because I think it would be a lot of fun to revisit those, uh, that trilogy of books now. Um, those are goofy books. <laughs> yeah, but like, let, let's read them and talk about them like yeah, nine months before no. or six months before a new Han Solo movie because um, that's that's one of the things with the Air yeah. of the Empire. Like, I, I was reading Air to the Empire and we're going to get into comics next and talk about Dark Empire. I'm reading this stuff, you know, how many years ago was this? Like 20 years ago, right? Like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm reading these, these takes on like the post-Return of the Jedi, you know, Star Wars story from 25 years ago after having seen The Force Awakens. And I'm like, it's just, it is weird, but it's almost like I can read this stuff now and look at this stuff now and like just relax and enjoy it because I know this is not where Star Wars went long-term with Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker's story, you know? And I haven't read Heirs of the Empire yet. I'm going to read it soon. I'm going to read the comic as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to reading both. Actually, I want to like, I'm not going to only read the comic. I want to read this book and I want to read the other two, uh, in the trilogy, but, um, it's at least reading dark empire, which we'll get into next. There's moments where I'm like, this is interesting, but I'm so glad this is not really, (laughs) you know, um, and I don't know if I'll feel that way about the Han Solo books because people talk about those. They hold those in really high regard too as like being really fun, cool books. Um, but maybe not the kind of thing you want to be like actual canon storytelling. But yeah, we're jumping ahead here. We'll get to those maybe someday. We'll talk about them. <laughs> but let, let's jump into Dark Empire. You have read Dark Empire, correct? Um, I, I have not. You have I have not Dark actually Empire. read it. I just, um, before we recorded this episode, um, I just uh downloaded um a preview of it um to see if if you know do i remember this did i read this um and i i got it on my um on my kindle app on my um surface surface pro tablet and i was like reading through it i'm like i don't i don't remember this at all i don't think i read it okay uh, well, I certainly had not read it until, you know, I was kind of prepping for the show, but I, I read it closely once and then I sort of reread it today, but it was, you know, skimming it a little bit because I just read it a month ago. So it's like kind of reminding myself and, and that sort of mm. thing, but um, sort of rereading it today. And it is, uh, it's really interesting um, in terms of like where the story goes. In a lot of ways, I think there's like some, some pretty creative and pretty fun stuff that happens in dark empire um i also think in a lot of ways there's some stuff that's like 
they they really like to and it's it's comics and it's a different medium so it's whatever but they really like to like do little references to lines like from the original trilogy to the point where it's like three or four times an issue like the narration or a character is going to include like a you know that's no moon line or something like that that's like clearly like a you know tongue in cheek wink wink at the audience like remember that from the star wars you know original trilogy kind of thing um there's a little too much of that for my for my taste but then that's still a problem today (laughs) i I was a problem for me in the force awakens which is one of my favorite movies ever and i love but like yeah it's it's, it's hard for people to let go of that stuff and to not throw that in there it was a problem in 91 it's a problem in 2015 through 2017 absolutely absolutely and you know i um i guess i won't give too much away about dark empire i mean it is 26 years old or something like that but uh you know it's 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 10 years after i think it's is it it's 10 years after a new hope maybe maybe 10 years after the battle of yavin but close to 10 years after jedi you know six seven years after and i was not surprised but i guess i was it was interesting to see that it picks up and like a lot of these characters and and really the galaxy at large is kind of in the same place it seems like that it was at the end of return of the jedi like hans like you know piloting the falcon with chewy and like you know outrunning like imperial ships and like the rebels are still at war with the the empire or something approximately like the empire mm-hmm. and it, it just as i was reading it i was thinking to myself like you know, for the early 90s take on like what happens after Return of the Jedi, it seems to be sort of veering into just retelling like what ha- like just, you know, kind of the same sort of thing that was happening in in the original trilogy. So in some ways, it kind of just continues that or tells very similar stories to what we saw in the original trilogy. Um but it also was a little edgy and a little bit willing to kind of like get out there and do different things. Um, or, or I guess sort of take risks, like in terms of what happens with Luke Skywalker, um, in the book, uh, in dark empire, because, you know, it's called dark empire. And, uh, most of the time, actually all the time when you see Luke Skywalker in this book, he's wearing like a dark black cloak and, uh, he is certainly toying around. We've got a visitor here, (laughs) a kitten cat. Yeah. Hi, Fran. Say hello. Um, <laughs> he's probably going to be walking around. He's the desk talking people. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking. Um, can you get comfortable or something? Come on. <laughs> well, there he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Run, oh, just bump oh, on the oh, microphone. That's uh, okay. That's not. All right. Okay. Come on over, old sport. Yeah. Uh, video viewers um, just got a got a treat there. Yeah. Um, audio listeners <laughs> just got just a, got a their podcast destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, it's you know people are talking now, of course, in 2017 about you know who is Luke Skywalker. We were talking about that a couple months ago. Who's Luke Skywalker? Where's he going? And mm-hmm. uh, I feel like you know one of the things that's that's crazy about dark empire is uh, on the one hand it feels like the right choice to make and on the other hand it feels sort of cheap is that luke really kind of you know goes down a path very similar to darth vader and you know star wars is this whole like poetry like repeating things you know george lucas talks about that and you know you see um 
Luke loses hand in Empire Strikes Back, and then he looks at his fa- father's stump where he cut his own father's hand off in Return of the Jedi and, and, and thinks, oh my God, I'm going down the same path as him. And you have all these reoccurring motifs and ideas and things, and and that is Star Wars. Um, but then like I'm reading this comic, and I'm seeing Luke make a lot of the same choices that Darth Vader made, and it's like... Um, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like, is this like motifs, like reoccurring motifs and is this poetry and that sort of thing? It's Star Wars poetry or is it like, you know, kind of cheap, easy way out storytelling? Um, Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm, I guess where I'm getting with, with my assessment of Dark Empire is that like, I think these early years were definitely experimental and kind of, we're trying to figure this out and like, where, what do we do with Star Wars now after Return of the Jedi? Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's, uh, there's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff in dark empire. I guess I don't want to like talk too much about, um, everything that happens. Cause I'd like, you know, if, if anybody's listening and hasn't read it, like if they ever do decide to read it, I don't want to kind of give it all away, but, um, mm-hmm. you have Leia training to be a Jedi, which I think is really cool. And people are going to enjoy, you see Leia with a lightsaber, you see Leia using force powers. She's talking about how Luke is training her to be a Jedi or she is a Jedi. Um, that is stuff that I think, you know, a lot of people were disappointed. They didn't see in the force awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke is super powerful, but he's also sort of toying with the dark side. Um, there's a new super weapon. So there's a complaint from the force awakens that is, uh, like right here, right away in dark empire, they have a new super weapon called a world destroyer. And it is very much like, <laughs> let's see if we can like sort of amp up the death star and like, you know, take that to the next level. So, <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, is this like, yeah. are we repeating motifs and themes or are we just like, let's just take that other idea, like slightly change it. And like, now that's our new idea, you know? Yeah. And what's, um, what's really interesting about, um, you know, just the, just the publishing side of this, um, is there was definitely not the, um, synergy between all of the publishing arms, um, because I believe this heavily contradicts a lot of stuff in Heir to the Empire. Yeah, I was trying to work that out in my head as I was reading this and thinking about like what I know of Heir to the Empire and, and that sort of thing. Um, they seem to be similar in a lot of ways, but probably different mm-hmm. takes on like the first stories post-Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe it all fits together, but like just in my head, like just reading um a like a little bit of the first issue today like i was immediately thinking like how does this even like <laughs> like aligning these events yeah. in the timeline because th- both um if i remember correctly pick up like immediately after the battle of endor right um mm-hmm. or like shortly thereafter uh this is a while after it's 10 i, I okay. can go back to the beginning and see but i think it's 10 years after the battle of yavin oh. which would make it what like six years after return of the jedi or something like that okay it, it's enough time that leia is like she like in the first issue she's like using the force to control these like creatures and like turn them against the empire and Luke, uh, and actually this is a comment, uh, that I, that we got on Facebook, um, from my favorite Star Wars podcaster, or one of my very favorite Star Wars podcasters, Jason, uh, from Blast Points. Mm -hmm. And I said like, Hey, I asked any memories from 
the power or from from ninety ninety one and and Jason from Blast Point said ninety one gave us Dark Empire Luke taking down an ATAT with a wave of his hand and that's something you see early on in the first episode too uh, or the first issue too mm-hmm. and that's really cool it's a cool moment it's like hey this is comics so you can do that in comics and it's cool right mm-hmm. like I don't necessarily want to see him do that in a movie but it's cool in a comic book um, but that moment right there is an example of what I was talking about earlier like he does that and then the text bubble is like an exact quote of Yoda from like you know <laughs> the the original trilogy movie yeah you know size matters not and all that stuff and it's like okay it's pretty on the nose um, but it's cool it's whatever um, yeah, but and, it's just like when that happens constantly yeah. throughout all the issues. That's when it's a problem. Like if they want to, if they want to show me Luke Skywalker like taking down an ATAT with the Force and like you know bust out a classic Yoda line, like go for it. But if you're gonna do that every third page, you know, like <laughs> it's not my fave. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a totally different time, and you know, maybe that stuff wasn't. You know, maybe, you know, obviously at that point, Star Wars hadn't been, I guess, quoted to death. Um, You know, we this was before we had been through because this is going to be a this this is going to be a reoccurring thing in this uh, in this series that we do, because that stuff shows up in like the video games. Um, You know, I'm sure it's going to be in some of the books and the comics and everything going forward but um you know i and i mean there was just less time for it to spread like on a pop culture level so like this was you know this was before everything that could possibly quote star wars quoting it like i mean it's before um, family guy and like everything else just in our culture that would um, end up like, I mean, like Kevin Smith movies and like everything like that would lead to basically every line from a new hope being quoted in something <laughs> that's not star Wars or that is star Wars. Um, so maybe it felt like maybe it, felt like a nice um like a comforting and cool throwback at the time and i also think like um i mean home video was obviously a thing here but this was before every star wars fan had owned the original trilogy 18 times too so like people probably because this was before the thx versions um the thx VHS. so like I mean, probably like the only, you know, copies of Star Wars on video were like the rental ones, like those old boxes. And I mean, they were probably released. That's a, actually, I have no idea. I'm. <laughs> yeah, there was, like, there was a Fox Home video release of the classic trilogy in the 80s sometime. Okay. Um, I don't think it was rental only, although like we were so young at that point and yeah, I don't remember, but I know like I, I remember seeing those at friends' houses and stuff. So I think they were, I okay. think they were released on home video. Now they might've been like 90 bucks a pop or something like, cause VHS tapes were super expensive at that point, or at least yeah. some of them were. Do you remember that though? Like a, a new movie would come out like on, on VHS and it would be like $90 at media play or whatever. 
But then some movies, like if they were really huge, like popcorn movies or just movies with like a super huge audience, they would come out for like 30 or 40 bucks. Or maybe it would be like 90 bucks for like the first year. And then like after a year went by, then they'd be like 30 bucks to get to buy a VHS tape. Um, yeah. So it might have been something like that where when Star Wars first came out on VHS, it was like rental only. But then after some time went by, you could get them, you know, to buy at home. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting concept because I definitely did not own Star Wars until the THX VHS tapes. I didn't either. So I have no idea how how much access people had to Star Wars like at that time. I think. I think that as far as VHS tapes and like movies went and stuff, they were pretty ownable, but, but owning like a whole library of movies was not a thing people really did in the eighties. Like, like we do now, um, you know, there was like Suncoast video at the mall and stuff and you could buy movies, but like a lot of the movies at Suncoast video were like 70, 80, $90. Um, and I feel like people just, you know, you would rent movies, you'd get two VHS recorders and, you know, like, play it on one VCR (laughs) and record it on the other one um, or tape it off HBO or off TV or something like that. Like people had tapes, but like a lot of times you weren't like buying home home videos like we do now. So, but I think, I think, you know, Star Wars would have been one of the ones that a lot of people had. Um, Mm -hmm. But in, in comparison to the way we own movies now, yeah, they probably weren't super, there uh, out there but in comparison to like the other movies of the time i think they were pretty probably ubiquitous or whatever so yeah but i'm not an expert obviously <laughs> yeah i have no idea <laughs> yeah. um but a couple more things before dark em- or, or about dark empire before we move on to like our last uh-huh. couple uh topics here um one of the things i thought was really interesting and i liked it i didn't always necessarily like the way like it was um, put out there or the way it was executed, but like Palpatine is like a major player in Dark Empire. And I don't know how he shows up in Heir to the Empire or into that trilogy. I imagine he's in there. And I think he's in there via the same method he's here, which is cloning, right? And this is like a, you know, Star Wars in 1990-91, the Clone Wars were a thing that were talked about in the original trilogy Maybe they were expanded on. I think they were expanded on a little bit, maybe here and there in West End Games. Um, but like that word got dropped in A New Hope. Like, oh, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. And like, what are the Clone Wars? And people theorize like, oh, I think all the stormtroopers are clones. And, you know, maybe Darth Vader's a clone. Like all this stuff. Like, you know, this whole thing with the clones was just really interesting because there was so little information about it. And then of course, mm-hmm. you know, in 1991, 91, I guess really, um, and beyond as like the star Wars universe was starting to be explored by all these different authors and creatives, like clones naturally sort of made their way into the storytelling, um, in a really different way than, than how they ended up coming into the storytelling when George Lucas was, was in charge. But, uh, but yeah, Palpatine is, and that's, you know, not to give too much away about the end of Dark Empire, but Palpatine is like has this whole plot going on with like clones and, you know, achieving eternal life through constantly replenishing his physical body through a new clone. Mm-hmm. Um, is that part of the Timothy Zahn trilogy? Is that kind of like, you know, what? Um, <laughs> I'm I really 
can't really you don't even... remember. It's probably super huge, but when it comes to when it comes to stuff in Star Wars that like I'm really not into, like I kind of <laughs> just like plug my ears and oh, that's fine. Um, and I it. This is why I can't tell you anything about the Mandalorians for that exact same reason. Like, it's just not my thing. And yeah. uh, it kind of goes in one year and then like out the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like with, uh, with Darth Maul these days and stuff. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. I'm going to think about everything else that's going on here. That's <laughs> not that. Um, but Again, um, I need to revisit the the Zon okay. trilogy because I okay. don't well. remember that specifically. Um, one thing I did want to say about um, Dark Empire, just um, just looking at it, um, you know, like a few pages of it today, um, I actually really like the art. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very like it's almost like an abstract like watercolor esque art style like it's really it's it kind of looks like i don't know like almost like 80s pop art in a way um you know it's i mean it's somewhat refined but i was like you know i was like this is a 1991 comic book and i was like sort of expecting like the i don't know what you think about when you think of like early to mid 90s like comic (laughs) books like in superhero stuff like the like rob liefeld like i was gonna say image comics like everyone's super ripped and there's like so much like detail on everything but it's it's really it's not that at all it's kind of like the exact opposite it's almost like um if you're comparing it to like superhero comics it's almost like um the sort of like simplicity and like just really bright colors and like really like just images that really pop like in like 60s marvel stuff um but yeah i was like looking at i'm like wow this is a really uh i really dig this art like it's not what i expected at all um and i thought it was cool no, it looks cool for sure. Um, and you know way more about like comics and comic art than I do. But uh, I thought, you know, it's got like more of like a late 70s or like kind of 80s look to it in the sense that it's it seems like the the style is I, I guess this is a weird thing to say because I'm like, oh, it looks like it's from the 70s or 80s. And then I'm about to say that like it's like the style of art or drawing of like you know, I'm thinking of like the early like Spider-Man comics or like the 60s and maybe early 70s, mm-hmm. like Marvel comics. Um, but it has a little more modern look than that. But yeah, it doesn't remind me at all of the comics I was reading like in the early 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, they were, they totally looked like 90s and like, yeah, just a just a different look altogether. And this, this, yeah, for sure. It's got, it, it seems more like, you know, it would have been drawn by somebody who was in an earlier era of comics. And that's cool. But then there's also like, like I'm looking at the last pages of the first volume of Dark Empire. And um, I'm reminded like Luke Skywalker, there's lots of times where they show Luke and he's like this last panel, like he has like bright yellow and like blue highlights on his face. And then like his cloak, which is like a black cloak is like has all this like blue like kind of light around it and it's colored in sort of a blue color but it's like this black cloak and yeah it's just 
it's got a definitely an interesting look um for sure and i think you described it a lot more <laughs> eloquently but even like on I, the second i think we kind of said the same thing we we're like 80s but kind of looks like the 60s yeah we did but you said it first which meant i was just retreading what you'd already <laughs> said um but even like on the second to last page of dark empire like you're seeing a villain we'll say um in his final moments in the book and there's like this image of like the clouds and this character's face. And like, you could see like this cloak behind him. It looks like Dracula, you know? And mm -hmm. it's just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's not a paint by numbers approach to like the, the storytelling and the, and the art in this book at all. It looks really cool. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's it. There's a lot going for it in that regard. Um, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of somebody who hadn't gotten any new star Wars for 10 years. And like, it would be thrilling, I think, to read this comic. Yeah, and... we would have loved it. Oh, yeah, at the for time. Sure. Like, yeah. if we were the target audience at the time, like, we would have loved this. Yeah, it would have been thrilling. Um, all your favorite characters are back. They do some interesting things with characters you wouldn't expect. Um, it tells a pretty complete story in only six issues. It's definitely good stuff. Uh, I think it's a little dated in terms of the storytelling, like mm -hmm. where it goes with Luke Skywalker and some of these other characters. Um, but it's it's definitely cool. And I think, like again, for me, uh, I loved looking at this stuff after the fact, like from mm -hmm. 25 years distance and being like, man, this is crazy. This is what Star Wars was in 1990 or 1991. Yeah. Um, I think and it's, it's so good, like not having to like read this and be like, well, this is canon, so <laughs> I need to like read this and understand this. And oh god, it's contradicting all these other things, but I it's canon. I yeah, I have to like yeah, yeah I yeah. have to digest this. Like so, yeah. it's yeah, it's a, it's really um like you said earlier, like it's a lot less um pressure <laughs> when revisiting some of this like legend stuff. Sure. Yeah, and there's two more volumes of Dark Empire, so um, we'll probably be talking about those in upcoming episodes. But uh, but but yeah, the big thing is like it, it, I guess the the last thing too, and this is again something I'm good at like restating things that you've already said, Ryan. But uh, original mm -hmm. ideas of yours. But like the big thing too with this is like this had the task of sort of like reintroducing Star Wars to you know Star Wars fans um, after a long drought of not getting like new kind of Star Wars storytelling. Um, Although that's something that we should probably talk about at some point too, is like the history of Star Wars comics and like Marvel's history with it and when it went to Dark Horse and how all that worked okay. out. Because I know Marvel held on to the Star Wars comics license uh, for a while, I think. Yeah. Um, but then obviously at some point it went to Dark Horse and I don't know when Dark Horse started producing new Star Wars comics, if this is the first that they did or... I believe this is the first one. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so... Um, I should have looked up to see like how much time there was between like, you know, the, the, the last kind of Marvel issues. Yeah. I actually know very little about like the original Marvel run. Cause it's all just, it's so weird <laughs> that I've never really dove into it. Like it's always just felt so inaccessible to me for whatever reason. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Cause they, I mean that, that ran like, over a hundred issues i think like the marvel star wars run yeah the initial one i think ended in the early 80s but then i don't know i i, I don't know I, I i would think that marvel wouldn't have just sat on the license for all those years but maybe they did maybe i guess it was the dark times right maybe there wasn't much going on from from marvel um 
during all of the 80s and in the 90s we'll have to correct ourselves at the beginning of the next episode go back and look up yeah like, i mean what okay. went on with marvel comics yeah i just looked up um something that i remember is they were definitely publishing ewoks comics in 1987 yeah based on the cartoon license right yeah 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 and okay. so i would also assume probably like droids mm-hmm. um were in there as well but actually, yeah, I know nothing about this stuff at all. Like the Ewoks, droids, cartoons, all of that, and the definitely not the comics. So, okay, but it's safe to say that in the same way that like, or it seems safe to say that in the same way that like, Heir to the Empire like really relaunched um, like Star Wars storytelling in the novel form. Like mm-hmm. I think Dark Empire like kind of relaunched like, okay, now we're going to start telling new fresh, exciting Star Wars stories in comic book form. And this is going to be something that you're going to get regularly and it's going to be like high quality stuff. Um, yeah. So it's maybe Star Wars was kind of like floundering or floating around a little bit there in the like mid to late 80s in store in terms of like comic storytelling. But mm-hmm. um, I think this is, again, a new push and like a relaunch of Star Wars. So And targeting adults. Again, like you mentioned earlier, like targeting the people who had seen the movies, you know, 10, 15 years ago and, you know, who are now in their 20s or 30s um, in 91. And, you know, and it not just being like a kid's franchise anymore. I guess that is actually something and that probably started with the role playing game. Yeah. Where Star Wars went from being a kids franchise to you know being for everyone and actually being targeted at adults. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um it would be good to have somebody here a voice like that's maybe like 10 years older than us that could kind of comment yeah. on like what Star Wars was like what like Star Wars fandom was like and what it felt like to be a Star Wars fan, like in the very early eighties, like late seventies. But I would think like in that first initial boom, like of the original trilogy, like to a certain level, everyone was a Star Wars fan. You know what I mean? Like they were the hugest Mm -hmm. movies ever. Like, you know, Jaws and Indiana Jones aren't just for kids. You know what I mean? Like those are movies that everybody loves. And I think that's true for Star Wars. But like when you take a property like Star Wars, and and you look at like the way it's been a part of people's lives for 40 years it's not just like oh that's a good movie i'll go see that like everybody is a fan of that movie it's sure the whole world is a fan of star wars movies but like it's a smaller group of people who are invested and engaged in the star wars universe like as a larger thing that is going to be continual and they're going to continue to like reconnect with and stuff like that like mm-hmm. i think in that sense it went from being for kids like you know, like a kid's parent went and saw the movie and enjoyed it, but then that was kind of the end of it for them, whereas the kids would read the comics and play with the toys and do all that stuff. Um, And that's probably mostly who was still engaging with Star Wars. Like we even said, like the novels, like those, you know, Han Solo and Splinter of the Mind's Eye, all that stuff seemed to be more for kids. And this is, um, yeah, relaunching it for those, but really relaunching it probably for mostly those same kids. They're just 10 years older now, you know? Yeah. And so like now they're going to be looking for, for more Star Wars, which is great. Yeah. All right. Um, we have a little bit of time left where we can talk about the kind of last, what sort of genre of Star Wars product from 90 and 91. Um, and this, uh, this is like one of our favorite topics to talk about, uh, Ryan, you and I, um, mm-hmm. and those are video games. 
And uh, we have two Star Wars video games from 1991, um, one of which I've played. I'm sure we've both played. And mm -hmm. one of which I'm betting neither of us has ever played. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. So why don't we start with uh, the one that we have played, which is Star Wars on the... Okay. Star Wars on the NES. Um, this which is, is not to be confused with uh, Star Wars oh, on the Famicom, no <laughs> which I'm now holding up in front of the camera, which came out in 1987, um, yeah. published by Namco, but was never actually released in the United States, which, oh my God, I would love to hear the story behind that. Like, why was a Star Wars game released in 1987 for the most popular video game system in the world? Right in the middle of, like, the NES boom was beginning in North America, and they did not bring out a Star Wars game on NES until 1991. I think it was 91, right? 91, the same year that the Super Nintendo came out, the Genesis had already been out for two years. Like, and this, it was a totally different game. Yeah. Like, it's so crazy. Like, I would love to know if, if they did take the Famicom game and, like, try to, like, run it past, like, Nintendo of America in, like, 87, 88, and, like, it was turned down or if there were licensing issues somewhere along the road, but man, like that's crazy that like that we didn't get a console star Wars game on the NES on a Nintendo system until 91. Cause like there were like the Atari games, um, which were pretty huge. Um, I mean, everyone I know who owned an Atari had those, uh, you know, those those original Star Wars games for sure um, back in the day. But like, this is so crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it is crazy. Um, you have to think it was something to do with licensing. Maybe Namco had the Star Wars license for Japan and not for the US or it, I was going to say uh, maybe it's something where like Lucasfilm thought that the uh, Famicom Star Wars game like didn't quite represent the brand the way they wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. But then I remembered that super star Wars exists and <laughs> like, there's like all kinds of, because basically like we could talk about a little bit, um, Famicom star Wars. I have been playing here and there for the first time uh, ever. And I've put up two videos on our YouTube channel of, uh, mm -hmm. Famicom star Wars, um, crazy game, really cool, kind of tough, uh, as is par for the course with, um, Nintendo games from the late eighties and early nineties. Um, mm -hmm. it's a tough game, but it's really cool. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in that game. That's like pretty crazy. Like when I fought at the end of like, I think the second level, uh, Darth Vader, but first he was a shark and then he turned into Darth Vader. Like it's weird. A scorpion. It's, no, that's at the end of the first level. Oh yeah. Um, which is weird, but I feel like not as weird as when he's a great <laughs> white a shark. shark and I'm okay. swimming around in a tank. Yeah. There's crazy stuff in the game. It's really weird. Um, yeah. but it's super fun. It's got big blocky colorful sprites. Um, and it, and it's very Japanese looking like it has an anime look, um, in the way the game yeah. is presented, the characters, the story, like the, what would you call them? The interstitial, like kind of like cutscene type, you know, Oh, those um, look so cool. They look really cool, but also they look very Japanese. So I don't know if it was someone somewhere decided this wouldn't play with American audiences, which 
I think would have been a crazy call to make because I'm sure it would have been well received, I think. But anyway. Yeah. I just, I, I, I want that story. Um, and I've never, never come across that in either my Star Wars research or old video game research. So it's an interesting thing. But um, back to, I guess, the game at hand um, from JVC, I believe, right? Yeah, JVC. Uh, it's, it's listed here as from uh, JVC and Lucasfilm Games. Um, so this is before LucasArts, I think. Um, Lucasfilm Games. Um, yeah, uh, made in Japan, it says on the label. Um, Probably the cartridge manufactured. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know where JVC Games were developed, but I think that's a that's a Western company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't know. I think it's a Japanese company. I'm not sure. Japanese company, huh? I don't know. Um. But in any case, it's a pretty different game from... It was developed by Beam Software, who's okay. an Australian studio. I knew this was a, like a, a Western okay. game, yeah. Well, it definitely uh, does not have the Japanese flavor that the Famicom Star Wars game has. Yeah, they also... Um, <laughs> similar, <laughs> um, in this time frame on the NES, they developed uh, Back to the Future, which is a questionable... <laughs> NES game um, and like a Terminator game and um, The Punisher on NES in 1990, which is a game I really like. But. Yeah, and I, I like this Star Wars game. Um, I don't remember liking the Back to the Future game very much, but um, <laughs> I think it's not that, good. Yeah, I think the Back to the Future game, though, for the NES is um, it's not known for sticking to like the the source material um but i think that uh, that this game does stick to the source material at least in comparison to famicom star wars that's one of the things that i think is interesting about it like for me it's not quite as much fun um as famicom star wars um but it's mm -hmm. you know you start out on tatooine um you're in a land speeder then you travel to like a a sand crawler, then you go to Docking Bay 94, then you're on the Death Star. I mean, it's just it follows the plot of Star Wars mm -hmm. um, pretty well, and you never fight a shark or a fader, you know? Um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. So um, I have played this because I have the cartridge and I have my NES and I, you know, play it fairly often, at least a few times a year. I go back and, you know, plug in my <laughs> NES and play through some of the games I have. Um, I played this game quite a bit um i'd say about 10 years ago i played it uh a bunch for sure and then i've played it a little bit here and there but uh i don't think i've ever finished it i don't know if you have um mm -hmm. i've barely played it I, I rented it as a kid and i was like this is really hard yeah and also like i was i was pretty over the nes at this point okay. by the time this game came out which was it was late 1991 um, it was November of 91. So, you know, by the time I played it, like I already had a Genesis. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, this is fine. It's hard. I'm not really too invested in this and just moved on. Well, the show notes on this episode are going to be pretty extensive because uh, I think we recorded an episode a few years ago, actually, um, 
talking about the Super Star Wars games. Um, and we're going to be talking about those in a couple of years when we get to uh, the years in which those were released. But um, yeah, I mean, those are the ones I think that we all probably played the most as kids. Mm-hmm. Like that was our Star Wars uh, game up until like Shadows of the Empire um, and maybe some of the PC games, which we'll also be talking Dark about. Dark Forces was, was my first like huge Star Wars game. Okay. Yeah. And, and to clarify for me personally, like, I don't think I played this game as a kid. I think, um, Mm. this is a cartridge. I don't know if I would have picked it up at like a garage sale or, um, if if I got it from, I don't know, like maybe early two thousands, I was going around buying NES games if I could, but I got this game somewhere and I've had it for a long time and I've played it a bunch, but it's one of those games where I've played the first like half an hour of it a a lot and then kind of get stuck and, it's pretty tough. It's pretty, it's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm going to try to play through it some more and post some videos of it with a little bit of commentary to um, the blockaderunnerpodcast.com. So um, there's already two videos of Famicom Star Wars up there, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, I need to record a third one and finish that game out because uh, I, I, with that game anyways, I was going for a try to play through the entire thing. Um, well, just because that's a game that I feel like almost nobody has played, you know? Yeah. And so no. it's like, cool, let's let's get a, a full kind of like let's play playthrough of the game yeah. with something like Star Wars NES. And especially like when we get to Super Star Wars, like, I mean, lots of people listening, I think, would have played these games. So I don't necessarily feel like if I'm doing video, I need to play through the entire game. Maybe I'll just mm. do a choice, little choice cut of it or whatever. But with uh, Famicom Star Wars, I kind of want to do the whole thing because I feel like that might be the only way most people ever experience it. Um, well, the one or two people that might watch the video, it might be the only way they experience it. But. <laughs> anyway, there were two Star Wars NES games. One of them was released in 1991. It's pretty cool. I would say neither of us like it quite as much as the Famicom one. Is that fair? I mean, I'd, or you're I you're like not a huge fan of either it. one of them. <laughs> I need to go back to it. I mean, okay. like... I no, I I love the Famicom okay, Star okay, Wars okay. game, okay. but not not really like as a like good game, and it was definitely not part of my childhood. Yeah, but I just I I love it <laughs> for what it is. I need to go back to this NES one. Um, I actually am on a pre-order waiting list for um a a new NES, a retro, retro USB. Free. Uh, AVS system, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to be expanding my NES cartridges cartridge library. Um, hopefully, in the next I don't know, maybe if I get the system within the year, um, yeah. whenever I get the system. But I think this is one I I will pick up and uh, and revisit for sure. But cool. it's one that um, I mean, unless unless you're going to emulate it illegally on a pc um it's one that you pretty much have to have the cartridge for because it's never been released on digital download services or anything so um which is the case with a lot of star wars games unfortunately um you really have to have the original uh whether whatever it is cd-rom cartridge whatever to uh to play it unless you uh unless you emulate it which is never as fun yeah um that's true although i would say that as we get further into the 90s here doing these episodes like a lot of the star wars pc games and even some of the like star wars nintendo games and stuff are available on steam and uh 
And so, you know, some of those, quite a few of those, I think you can you can play now if you have a PC. But uh, but these early ones, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, there's Game Boy games, and yeah, you're not playing any of those on on a legitimate format now. So yeah, well, I mean, like when we get to like the PS1 games, um, oh, some of those are not uh, not available anywhere. Um, yeah, I don't think you can legally download Masters of Terrorists Kasi, Kasai, Kasai, yeah, the, yeah, the 3D fighting game, which uh, mm-hmm. luckily I own a copy of for PS1, and um, I'll have to record some video of that when, uh, when that rolls around. And same with the, well, I don't, I don't actually know if the Twisted Metal Star Wars game, the Destruction <laughs> Derby <laughs> Star Wars dis- metal destroy whatever yeah. that one was demolition mm. Star Wars demolition i don't know if that was actually in the 90s but if it was we'll be covering it well i'll tell you what ryan you can definitely cover it and post it to uh our youtube channel um even if we can't link to it in a power of the 90s show notes you know talk about it on the episode like i'd still love to uh see some footage of you playing that game um but We've been going here for a long time on our 1990-91 episode. My cat is bumping into the microphone again. But before we go, kind of last topic here, we have to talk about this game that you looked up and found out about today, actually, right? Um, yes. And this was uh, this was kind of a late addition because, um, because the dates on it, I initially um, passed over it when, um, when I was looking at you know, these notes the first time because I was seeing it as a 1992 release, but that was only for one platform. Um, so this Star Wars game is Star Wars Attack on the Death Star, and it was released for the, um, I believe, Sharp uh, X68000 PC and the PC98 in Japan. Um, the PC-98 version came out in 1992, but the X-68000 version came out in December of 1991. Um, so this is a game, again, another um, Star Wars video game that was released exclusively in Japan. It was released exclusively on these two Japanese um, PCs. Um, but fortunately there, um, you know, people have posted video of the game, both on the, um, X68000 and on the PC98, um, onto YouTube. So you can actually see this game in action and it is pretty cool. Yeah, it looks definitely really cool. It's like a up the footage I saw, I only saw like a minute or two of of footage from the game, but um, it looked kind of like an, an updated, like mod, like well, not really modern, but at the time, modern take on like the Atari Star Wars game, sort of like wireframe kind of graphics, like look to it. The arcade um, game. The arcade game, yeah, that's what I meant. That wasn't that was an Atari arcade game though, right? Yeah, and then okay. it, like you know, there was a form of it on consoles okay. in the 80s, but yeah, but yeah it's yeah. got like a similar kind of vibe to the arcade, but Vector the arcade game, graphics, right. But like an updated version of that sort of, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, know, do you know how long the game is like from the video I watched and the title of the game? I'm like, is this like a 10 minute long game or do we know like 
Like how much to it of the game is there? Um, I don't really know. I've also only watched um, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes of video footage between the two platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, But it has a very expansive intro. Um, I believe it's like an eight minute introduction movie Mm -hmm. to it, which is pretty crazy for a game in uh, 1991. for sure. But yeah, it, um, like you said, it's like um, those same like vector 3D graphics of the, um, you know, Star Wars, the arcade game. Um, but there's there's color in it, yeah. um, which I believe the original arcade game was black and white um, for the most part. Um, this definitely seems like there's way more vibrant colors in it. And um, there's a lot more happening on screen, I feel as well. Like there's um it still is that uh you have a cattail right on your face. Yeah, I'll talk so it cuts to me. Yep, I got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> um like Jabba with salacious crumb on my shoulder, like just sure. kinda, yeah. or or maybe that tail was uh blocking out the force. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like, I think it's a really, really, like, good-looking game for, like, that vector style. Like, everything is, like, really clearly defined. You're able to, like, look at it and be like, okay, that is definitely a TIE Fighter. That is definitely a Y-Wing. Like, you can really, like, tell what everything is. And it looks like the graphics, like, are totally functional for um, the style of gameplay. And... Remember, like, you know, we're talking about this, like, oh, it's still, like, vector graphics for this 3D game in 1991. But, um, you know, you have to remember, like, we are still, um, you know, in 91, we are three years away from the launch of the PlayStation in Japan. Um, We're two years away from the launch of Doom on PC. So, you know, like games weren't exactly 3d yet so we're still um you know a lot of what you see for 3d um games at this time are that sort of um vector style that you saw in like the space sims and like the um first person dungeon crawlers like your wizardry and stuff like that on pc yeah yeah so this is like it's uh, it's fun to like especially with a project like this like kind of going back and looking through each year and trying to find out what was going on each year. Um, it is cool to come across something like this that like neither of us were aware of. That is uh, mm-hmm. definitely like a, a, a an interesting and kind of cool little piece of, um, of Star Wars history. So um, I am going to try to see if there's a way I can play this game myself. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe record some. We'll see. Um but the, but that and as we start to kind of like wrap up here uh, with this episode, that is something that I don't know if I've you know sort of emphasized enough here tonight. Um, we're gonna do an episode like this every month, but as much as possible, I'd like to put up like videos and maybe even blog posts and uh, you know any kind of like supporting material that we can like related to what was going on in these in these years. So you know, it could be like stuff like toy reviews or um, like photo galleries of like merchandise we might have from these years and just anything like that that we can put up like to try to make it like um, something that goes a little bit beyond just this, the individual podcast episode and sort of like a month long 
you know, celebration of uh, any of the cool stuff that that was happening in any given year of Star Wars. So um, for 91, it's going to be mostly video games uh, and um, and we'll go from there. But uh, but yeah, like I'd love to get some some footage up of uh, NES um, Star Wars. I'd love to finish my Famicom Star Wars playthrough. And then if there's a way that I can work like maybe like a, a Sith kind of dark Jedi magic here and get some some footage of this um, of this rare Star Wars game up on our on our YouTube channel. I'd love to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up, like we decided we kind of want to talk about like what we felt like the state of Star Wars is in any given year that we're talking about. So this one, this episode being like 90, 91, we want to sort of wrap up here talking about like what was what was the vibe of Star Wars? What was like the state of Star Wars in 1991? Um, I don't know. Personally, I feel like we've kind of already said this a few times throughout the episode and that it's like a reintroduction of Star Wars. Like that's kind of the state of Star Wars. Like is Star Wars is like finding its footing in 1990 and 91 and sort of just taking the first steps of relaunching and becoming like a thriving, like, you know, vibrant, um, I don't know what's, what's the word storytell, like a thriving and vibrant, like, you know, storytelling universe or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, again in 1991, like, I don't necessarily think that too much of the, the media we've talked about maybe outside of air to the empire tonight is like a total home run in terms of just like all time classic star Wars storytelling, um, Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But it's, it's sort of like those first steps. So I feel like it's, it's on the path towards becoming like what it is now in 1991, but it's definitely kind of just um, tentative steps into that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, this is where it, where it all starts again. Like this is, I mean, pretty much from... this is where the fun begins. <laughs> you could say that. Um, I could have written dark empire with my <laughs> oh. cheap. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, you know, this is, I mean, from this point on, from 1991 on, you know, Star Wars is there. Like, it is a part of our consumer culture. It is part of our um, pop culture conversations. Like, it is, it is visible and it is there from 1991 to 2017. Um, I think you know, 91 is a good year um, just because it, it's serving a lot of demographics. Like um, you have your, um, I would say probably like your hard adult, um, your like your oldest fans were served with um, Heir to the Empire. Um, your, you know, comics were, this is the beginning of the comics boom. So like it's, you know, Dark Empire being on comic shelves is, you know, there were, this is a time when there were a lot of people in comic shops. Um, You know, this is the start of like about a five-year period where um, there's a lot of people in comic shops. And, um, and so like, you know, that's a lot of like, you know, again, older fans there, but also like teenagers um as well and then um i think you know the the star wars nes game i i think it was a little too late um 
because you know you're kind of you're at the this is basically the end of the nes's life cycle like yeah there's still more games that will come out on the nes like all the way up through like 94 but um you know we're already like the genesis is out there 91 like sonic the hedgehog came out on genesis like super mario world launched the snes like we're kind of moving on at this point but at this time there are also probably a lot of nes's being passed down to little brothers little sisters as you know people who kind of grew up with the nes were moving on to the next uh the 16-bit console so i i feel like maybe the nes game hit like the younger demographic as well i'm not really sure because it it didn't really resonate with me um at the time but i think you know having an a star wars video game on the shelf at your funko land at your walmart at your video rental place i think that was you know something that people took notice of um regardless of like you know how well the game did or um how like the quality of it like i think it was just like the the brand awareness is coming back in um for like all demographics at this point and you know it's also just um just exciting as fans at this point because uh you know it's it's establishing like hey you know heir to the empire is out now here you go star wars is back there's going to be two more of these so star wars has a future same with like dark empire like okay here's issue one it's not just issue one though like there's going to be more of this and then there's going to be more comic series and i think uh i think it's a time of uh it's 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 almost like a new hope in a way (laughs) (laughs) Um, like it's uh i think it's you know it's a time of reflecting on the past and nostalgia for what came in the 70s and 80s for older people and also like it's um you know finally being able to be truly hopeful of the future as well and you know at the same time there's the threads of the the tabletop role-playing game um through here as well which again is just like you know so important so um this is this is where where it gets good. Yeah, um, yeah. As you said, this is where the fun begins, and uh, I did not actually say that. You said that, <laughs> and it is uh, it's totally relaunching Star Wars, and so I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, somebody's gonna have to rein us in um, as we get into like the next episodes because we've talked for almost two hours tonight just about like ninety ninety one, and those are like the deadest years of the 90s for star wars um so it'll be interesting to see we'll how we to, do we'll this have to rethink how we're going to purchase because i think when once we start getting into like some of these years we may have to do like multi-parts even for yeah. a year no like you're... especially mid 90s because Oh my goodness. Yeah, Shadows might need its own episode. Um, but Shadows of the Empire definitely needs its own episode. Yeah, but then Truce at Bikira, which is probably the first Star Wars book I read, I don't know if I'll have mm-hmm. a single thing to say about it. So that'll be like, you know, 30 seconds and we can move on from that one. But Yeah, but Power of the Force, 
yeah. figures, no. um, Dark Forces, t- X-Wing, TIE Fighter on PC. Yeah. No. There's going to be a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, maybe a lot of that stuff we can support with smaller videos and stuff too. So that would mm. be cool. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, for now, um, we're going to wrap up uh, this episode of uh, The Power of the 90s. And um, we'll be back before next month with another sort of, what would you say, regularly scheduled Blockade Runner episode. But we'll be back um, hopefully in August with um, Power of the 90s, 1992, um, mm-hmm. which should be really fun. And then we'll we'll just keep on rolling along from there. So uh, until then, um, please subscribe on YouTube and uh, follow us on Twitter at Blockade Run. Check out the blog, uh, blockaderunnerpodcast.com. Um, we'll be posting... You know, like I said, more videos of uh, some of these Star Wars video games and um, uh, everything else going on with Blockade Runner uh, on those places. So, um, you know, if you listen to the show and you want to leave us a positive iTunes review, that would be great, too, because uh, we don't have too many uh, iTunes reviews. And I think that is a big thing um, that is helpful for podcasts. And we never really ask for those. Uh, I never think of it. Um, but, um, that would be awesome if you want to leave us a, a, an iTunes review. So, um, you can follow the show account, which I run at blockade run on Twitter, Ryan, your Twitter account, uh, at Braundorf, B-R-A-W-N-D-W-A-R-F. All right. Very good. And, uh, we will be back soon. So thank you and, uh, good night. Yeah. Goodbye.